0: Welcome, everyone, to another Hot Stove edition of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Terry Cushman here with you tonight. Joining me is Cody Paulson. The two of us are going to tag team this episode. Uh, The news of the day James Paxton has exercised his $4 million player option, so it was on him if he wanted to exercise that. He would basically at least put himself on the 40-man roster to uh, start the um, hot stove season. You can't really rule out a trade necessarily, not saying it's going to happen, but um, there are some scenarios that that might not have him on the roster opening day, but we're going to be talking about him, uh, how he fits into the rotation, what it all means. Uh, we might talk a little bit of bullpen because there was some Whitlock and Hauk comments today, uh, and then we will uh, get to some comments uh, from Scott Boris on Xander Bogarts' market. So somewhat of a a loaded show and uh we'll get into it how are you cody i think it's been a few since you've been on
1: it's been a little while good uh good to be back good to talk to the team here uh things have been going well just had a little bit of uh travel that i had to take care of uh some weddings to attend to so i appreciate you all being flexible uh happy to see see everybody how are you doing terry
0: i'm doing all right I, i told you a few minutes ago going to baltimore this weekend for uh a cribbage tournament—that's my nerdy hobby. I've said that a few times on the podcast, and uh, I'm on a roll. Though I won like 2,200 bucks in July, uh, which isn't bad, uh, and then I, I won about 1,300 this time. But it was only in one tournament versus I think I was in five in July. So, um, so I'm on my own little hot streak there, and uh, got one of those this weekend. So. Looking forward let's to keep that. it rolling.
1: Best of luck, man. Yeah, hopefully.
0: I I've played in Baltimore once, and I really messed up what ended up being the final hand of the qualifying round, and I missed the playoffs, and it's haunted me. Uh, that was probably in twenty. Let's see, twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen. So. Um, it's kind of like, like when Eckersley gives up the world series in in 89 or no 88, mm-hmm. I think it was to the Dodgers, you know, like that was probably obviously way more, you know, traumatic, <laughs> but it's a similar thing. You just remember that one game out of the thousands I've played, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So yeah. And, uh, all right. So yeah, you've, how many weddings was it? Like every time we text you, you're like, yeah, I'm on a plane or something.
1: It's been crazy. Uh, I think we've been to three weddings in the last thirty days, um, none of which have been, you know, in the in the town that I live in. Um, obviously, you know, super honored to to be invited to be a part of people's special day. But um, it, it's been a lot. It was the last one of the season for us, uh, so you know, we'll we'll definitely be a little bit more present moving forward.
0: Were you in any of the weddings? Like, were you a groomsman or anything like that?
1: Uh, I was in like the proceedings for two of them but i wasn't a groomsman for any of
0: them oh gotcha yeah. so we
1: had to be there for like rehearsals and, and you know i had a part in in the big day but not necessarily up there as as a part of the party
0: yeah one of my best friends i was a groomsman and uh, i wasn't expecting to be and um i, I was really upset if they were going to make me wear a bow tie i did not want to wear a bow tie <laughs> and so oh, yeah so the bride-to-be was like well, he can wear whatever he wants and i'm like okay regular necktie <laughs> with a half Windsor. Cause that's all I know how to tie. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I miss the rehearsals and they come up to me and they're like, I can hear the wedding director, you know, talking to the other people. And then he comes up to me he's like, Terry. And he claps his hands. He's rubbing them. And I'm like, <laughs> whatever you're about to tell me, I'm hearing it for the first time. And uh, oh man, it ended up being fine. But yeah, I hate weddings though. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm like the least saddest person ever if I'm not invited, if it ends up being a small ceremony or whatever. Totally good to, uh, you know, sit that one out. But I'm, perhaps I'm just not as social or whatever. And I hate dressing up. I hate dressing uh, up with a passion. So anyway, that's
1: a pretty big deterrent to a wedding. Yeah. And
0: the the thing I learned when I was the groomsman was uh, you want to get your talks at least a couple weeks out. And uh, I was like four days. So I was insanely lucky that it all worked out. (laughs) I had no idea. You know, I'm used to just wearing, you know, khakis and, and just a button down shirt, untucked, you know. And, yeah. uh, so yeah, it, it, all worked out though. And I didn't have to wear the damn bow tie either. I can't, I just could never, I, I would, if anyone ever took a picture of me wearing one, I would like, that would be traumatic for me. Uh, anyway. All right. So let's, uh, let's get into, uh, some red socks here. So wh- what are your thoughts on the Paxton signing? I kind of thought it was inevitable myself, uh, because he just he's just a huge unknown right now, and you know four million is kind of a lot, you know, to for a team to pay more than that, you know, they're taking a, a big risk. So, what what were your thoughts uh, as the news broke?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it, it did kind of seem inevitable. I think he kind of mentioned that a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, once we declined that thirteen million, um, you know, knowing that there was the the tacked on four million player option it be silly not to take it right uh we're kind of in the same place that we were with him last year you know anything that we get out of him for the season i think is a, is a bonus um you know obviously at the 4 million price tag is a little bit different than than 13 but uh you know this is a guy that has top of the rotation stuff if he's healthy it, and that's kind of been the biggest the biggest hullabaloo about him um you know he's had lower body injuries he's had you know left forearm strain he's had the you know the Tommy John obviously so it's, it's going to be a road back for him but you know he's he's pitched ball well postseason I think he's won you know 60 of his starts um the only thing I would say is a negative is just it feels like we're kind of doing the same dance that we did last year in the offseason where we're kind of saying like okay you know if all these dominoes fall correctly we're going to be in, in pretty good shape and that's a dangerous game to play in baseball you know it's it's an oblique strain here it's a dead arm sensation there and then you know you never see that guy again and you know i don't think there's going to be top of the line uh you know two three starter um value out there especially at that four million price tag so you know you're, you're trying to put lipstick on a pig at this point um but uh you know I don't think I'm necessarily the most upset with it just because if he does come back and he is right or, you know, any version of himself that we've seen in the past, uh, it's going to it's going gonna, it's gonna to smell like roses. And so I'm just going to be optimistic and hope that, you know, we can get a solid back half of, of the season from him at the at the very least.
0: I would be fine with the deal if we had a solid rotation in place to begin with. And we'll we'll get to the rotation here in a little bit. But there there's a lot of concerns. And you've also got Chris Sale in there. How many innings are you getting out of him? You know, I jokingly said, I what if he forgets how to walk? You know, like he forgot how to ride a bike. It's just there's a ton of risk in this rotation. And Paxton is uh, let me see here. Uh, 30, wow, he, three days ago, he turned 34. So next year is essentially his, um, his age 34 season. Only four times has he pitched more than 100 innings. And his max was in 2018 at 160 innings. So this is a guy who has had, like you said, a litany Of different injuries here and people can say well he's got a fully built rebuilt elbow that's great well it is but like I said in the last show how's that 34 year old shoulder gonna hold up that hasn't had a normal workload in almost what four years you know 2019 was his last full season and he pitched I think a hundred and fifty innings there the other thing, too, is not quite to the, you know, extreme degree of, of Nick Pavetta, but Paxton at times can lose his mechanics, and he just kind of goes on a rough stretch. So we're going to be dealing with that. We're going to be dealing probably with some, you know, aches and pains and and the wear and tear that an, a 34-year-old pitcher will um we'll go through. So I'm just, I can't help, but be a pessimist about it. The, the line, the line Scott Boris gave was hilarious. Uh, Boris says uh, something to the effect of it. It wasn't about the money in this situation. It was about his comfort level with, you know, the Red Sox. I'm like, what comfort level he hasn't, he's never pitched an inning here. I mean, he obviously knows the medical staff well by now because, you know, they were were trying. I mean, the expectation in 2022 was that he was going to join the rotation about halfway through the season. And he had some really glowing uh, reports with him uh, in like April and May. They're like, he is throwing really hard. He's ahead of schedule. And then... He had some setbacks and then never pitched. Uh, so it's just a huge mystery right now. But with that Boris line, I just said, you know, it's it's not about the money. It was more about the comfort. When when do you ever hear Boris say, yeah, he just he didn't have a market, so he had to take it because that's I think what happened here. I think Boris assessed the market, talked to some teams, and they're like, eh, you know, we don't really want to take on that risk. So uh,
1: that, That's a great comment, too, right? Like, Boris is perhaps, you know, the puppeteer of all puppeteers, right? You know, he's, he's the guy shopping, his players trying to find the best deal for him, and, you know, for Boris to kind of take the wind out of those sales, I think, says a lot. And, you know, one thing I will say as of note to kind of the statistics that you mentioned, this guy hasn't had an ERA above four whenever he's finished a season, right? If he's pitched, you know, a, a full slate of games, we'll call it, you know his highest ERA is three eight two, and he went fifteen and six that year. So uh, the guy keeps the ball in the yard. He you know he kind of keeps you in games. I I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know when he's not humming, it does look bad. It is Pavetta esque in the sense of losing your mechanics. But you know if if we weren't relying on trying to find five starters to go every fifth day, I think this looks a lot better. Um, but it does put a, a little bit more pressure on him to to kind of come back and be be the big game pitcher that he can be or has been in the past.
0: As I've pointed out several times, nobody eviscerated the Michael Walker deal last winter worse than I did. I hated it. I wanted nothing to do with it. And it, it just had like Garrett uh, Richards written all over it to me, you know, reclamation project that just didn't work out. And, and I was wrong about that. So if that ends up being the case this season, I'll gladly own it. I don't hate Paxton, but I, I was never thrilled with him. Even before as Tommy John, he just was never a guy I was interested in. When the Yankees were having problems with him, I was like, oh, thank, mm-hmm. go- thank goodness they're the ones having the problems, you know? So yep. it just, um,
1: you know. Would love to be wrong, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: uh, and I, I'll own it. I, I don't, I have no issues with that. So, Here's how the rotation looks at the moment. And Do I expect it to stay this way? Not necessarily, but do I expect it to change drastically? Also, uh, not necessarily. So you've got, in some order, you know, it may not be this exact order, you've got Chris Sale, you've got James Paxton, Garrett Whitlock, Nick Pavetta, and Brian Bayo Now, there's tons of risk here. With Sale and Paxton, like we said, they've pitched a combined 69 innings in the last three years because of their surgeries and setbacks and all that. 69 innings. They're both about the same age within a year. I think Sale might be, uh, he he turns 34, I think, uh, just prior to opening day. For comparison, 39-year-old Charlie Morton has pitched three hundred and ninety-five innings in that time frame. Salem Paxton only, um, you know, sixty-nine. Like I said, so you got that issue going on. Uh, the issue for me with Whitlock is he's never done it for a full season at the big league level as a starter. He's one injury away from being an injury prone player to me. I mean, has had elbow issues. I thought the hip issue was weird. I I wouldn't think a pitcher in his twenties would have a a hip issue, but it happened. And it, it uh, took him out of the rotation last year. And I just don't, he doesn't look comfortable as a starter. He hasn't, I don't like his body language on the, on the mound. and, And maybe some of that was probably due to the injury, but um, he just looks like he's stressed. He starts laboring as he got into like his third, fourth, fifth starts. The strikeout rate just totally dropped when it was insanely high uh, as a starter, uh, as a reliever. I mean, the strikeout per nine anyway was through the roof. So you got that issue going on. Uh, I expect Bayo to be pretty solid. I'm actually the least pessimistic about him, but could he have some growing pains and an ERA around four? Uh, you know, this season, yeah, I, I think that's possible. And I I do kind of worry about Tommy John with these young pitchers who have never had it. I mean, if if he had it, you know, in the minors or or even in high school i might be like all right well that still buys him probably into his 30s i would say uh, but he's never had it and, and uh, John Lester never had it so you don't necessarily have to have it you know at some point but so there's from a, either an injury prone standpoint or a performance standpoint there's tons of risk with this rotation and i'm i'm really uncomfortable with it
1: I agree. I, I think you made a lot of, a lot of great points. Uh, just a couple of things to kind of piggyback on what, uh, what you said. Um, you said that they pitched 69 innings over the last three years combined. Yeah. Combined. That still seems high. Like if you were just to do like a mental, you know, kind of like look back over the last three years, I, I would have taken the under on 69 innings. And it, it's crazy that they've even pitched that many, right? Cause we just haven't seen these guys. Um, I absolutely agree with you. That five, um, Does not make you comfortable, right? Because you know, Sale is is a weird injury away, or a guy that's you know had elbow, had shoulder issues, kind of like you were mentioning with Paxton, right? Um, You know, how does how does the rest of the body that's not surgically repaired kind of deal with with this stress load after not you know kind of being under that duress uh, for that many years? Um, How picked up that injury, covering first, right? He kind of had like that weird slip going going to first base and then just the hip was never the same
0: uh Whitlock you mean uh yes or Whitlock
1: sorry yes yeah Halk had the back injury I think it, um,
0: I think it was uh, a, a situation like that
1: what was really interesting to me and I don't know if like m- maybe Whitlock was was adamant about being a starter but they never let how go more than five they wouldn't let him get through the third uh, get through a lineup a third time, yet they would always pull Whitlock before, you know, the fifth inning, right? He would give us four scoreless at the beginning of of the season before, you know, his K rate dropped and he started to labor a little bit more. Maybe it was because of that injury. I don't know why they flip flopped those guys. If, uh, you know, I think if we do a season retrospective and we look at the beginning of the season, you could point out to half a dozen to maybe even a dozen games that we could have won if we just had a competent, eighth and ninth inning starter and and help was very easily giving us those six outs no problem you know six up six down shut the door does the season last year look a lot different if we get off to a better start you know if we don't have that atrocious april and may combination um that to me was was always something that i thought was a little bit peculiar i don't know if that came from the front office i don't know you know what was kind of driving uh driving that conversation but you know Bayo, I think we kind of had an, an inverse on what you normally see with players, um, especially on the pitchers. There's not a lot of tape on them coming up from from the minors. And they, you know, usually have kind of a flash in the pan at, at, at the beginning of their careers. And then, you know, obviously, quickly, big leader, big league hitters do big league hitter stuff. And they, they kind of figure out the weak points, figure out, you know, oh, this guy's got two good pitches. If I can stay off the third, we're fine. And then they get kind of beaten up. He was kind of the inverse, right? When he first came up, he was getting hit all over the yard. He wasn't putting innings away. He was, you know, walking batters. And then he really kind of found his stride and and had a great close to the season. Um, you know, the book's still out on what it's going to be moving forward. Is he going to be that four ERA guy or is, you know, is he going to be somebody that we can count on to take the ball every fifth day? Only only time will tell, right? Even the best speculations can't really tell us anything at this point just because we only have seen, seen so little from him. Um, but... Yeah, I you know, with those two guys at the top, um in, in Paxton and Sale, I think we're gonna see the Seabolds, the Crawfords, and the Winkowski's more than we're comfortable with at the very least, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, those guys came up, they gave us some good spot starts here and there, they gave us some bright spots in in what ended up being a lost season. But if you're relying on them to to turn you know the rotation over uh to to the top again, I, I think we're going to be in a bad position and it's going to look like, it's going to look like last year all over again. And, and I don't, I don't know if uh, we as a fan base can endure that two, two consecutive years.
0: Yeah. And I saw a tweet from Chris Cotillo who you like him or not. He seems to be the most connected Red Sox beat writer has the most sources and all that. He says the Red Sox still aren't out on Rich Hill, even like he could still come back. So it's just it's just madness. When are we gonna go back to those twenty ten and even early two thousands rotations that we had, where you had at least two guys in there that were, um, you know, like a Lester and Lackey, two Grizzly mm-hmm. veterans that could just hold it down. You know what I mean? So. Uh, let's, because we kind of did touch on it. The bullpen is situation is perplexing to me. Now, I was kind of resigned to to Whitlock going into the rotation. There was a lot of talk about that. Um, I was not expecting to find out today that Hauk could also go into the rotation. So, what's concerning here is you're looking at a complete rebuild of that bullpen. Like, I just can't imagine a bullpen not having one of the two of them in there because both of them were nails at, at that role. And I especially, I ended up liking Hauk more in that role in the long run. I just, I talked about Whitlock's body language. Uh, you know, when things would get stressful, he'd, he'd be having traffic on the bases and, and all that. Not that he was terrible, but but Hauk would go in there just, cool as hell and, and could handle it. And I think that's why, um, Dennis Eckersley nicknamed him cool hand Luke, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so now not only am I uncomfortable with the rotation, like I just don't know where they're going to go with that bullpen. Are we going to start hearing Matt Barnes is going to get the ninth inning again? Uh, you know, he had a please no. He had a decent finish, but he's just never going to do it for a full season. So it's crazy. And you look at all the previous. Well, I shouldn't say all the previous because the last few years have been interesting. But generally, in in recent Red Sox history, going back fifteen, even twenty years, you'd come into an off season. With like one area of the team that you kind of need to focus on, you know, and then maybe you'll supplement like one player. You'll go get an outfielder or something to address that. Coming into 2023, you need two of everything, at least you need two key bats. You need two key relievers, probably three or four at this point. And before today's news, I'm thinking you need two solid guys in that rotation. And I just don't I don't get it. I don't understand the the bloominomics, I guess, for for lack of a better term.
1: Yeah, and, you know, and this is uh, the caveat being that, you know, we don't re-sign Evaldi or Waka, right? You know, both guys are, are in talks and in negotiations. And I think, you know, um, this front office has shown that they're going to you know take it down to the wire. Uh, with, with those deals, which is a bummer. But you know, if, if we get one of those guys, I think we feel...
0: Well, actually, real quick, the qualifying offers have to be issued at some point on Thursday. I don't know if that's noon or 6 p.m. There's a deadline on Thursday. So anyone that's going to get one, those have to be uh, dealt out by then. So those are the two more likely guys that could get one. And I, we covered that in the last show. I want no part of Evaldi... That fastball dropped, you know, too much for my comfort, and I think there's too many red flags. I'd love to have Waka, but
1: I, I think if you had to pick one, I think Waka is the safer moving forward. Uh, sorry for the background noise. Uh, my my pups got some uh, some thoughts on on the rotation as well here, <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I think you nailed it right on the head, right? You know, we have a lot to a lot to worry about uh, this with this rotation, with this bullpen, with you know, with this uh, with this lineup, and having this many spots to fill is is going to be a tall task, and it, it's something that's going to make or break it for Bloom, right? It, you know, it's either going to be um, manager, general manager of the year, or you know, we're looking at somebody different in twenty twenty four.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's what it's going to come down to. I think he's going to completely lose the confidence of ownership if he can't, if he can't put a formidable team out there. And an extra team gets into the playoffs now, so theoretically, it's easier than ever to get in. And if we're not doing it, uh, it's crazy. And I don't see any team in this division taking a major step back. I think. The Orioles are going to spend money. I think the Rays are going to be the Rays, you know, 85 to 90 wins, which probably is good enough for that last wild card. Yankees will find a way to compete. They've never, I don't think, you got to go back to what, at least maybe the early 90s or some point in the 80s when they had a losing record, been below 500. Uh, They just never fall below that. And it's insane because we're either upper nineties or somewhere in the seventies, it seems like. Um, but so yeah. And I, Toronto is just too good to, I mean, there's just too much talent on there to really, really fall out of it. I, you know, I think we can all agree they underperformed last year for, for the roster that they did have, but, um, but it, so the division's not getting any tougher. I th- we do play less divisional games because we're going to play every um, national league team now. So it's uh, they call that a balanced schedule. So I think instead of 19 or 20 games against the divisional opponents, it's going to be around 14 games apiece, which I'm kind of in favor of. But I just going back to it. I just this could be Bloom's last year, and. For all the I call them the Bloominati, for all the Heimblum Bloom huggers, y'all better hope David Stearns gets a job this winter, because <laughs> if not, he's prime time for the 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 Red Sox, a team like the Red Sox, to scoop up uh, at at some point, maybe the middle of this season. It seems yeah. like when GMs get fired, it happened with Sherrington and it happened with Dombrowski. It's always after the trade deadline. So yeah. August is. You know, a, uh, yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, uh, I was sorry. I, I will say I don't think I would necessarily call myself a Blumenati, nor would I call myself you know somebody that's looking to to move on from him. I'm kind of in the middle at this point, um, just because I recognize kind of where the organization was contractually going into his tenure. Um, now, you know, I was I was definitely very disappointed with the way that this trade uh, trade deadline came and went. You know, I thought. You know, we needed to make one decision or another, right? We can't just stay on the fence like we did. We, you know, made marginal improvements and we didn't, you know, gain any necessarily flexibility, nor did we um, acquire any prospects. Uh, so, you know, if we were to continue to stack treading water off season, treading water deadlines, then, you know, then I'm going to start to kind of get on this guy a little bit more. But I like what he's done in in the sense of trying to give us that flexibility moving forward, trying to get off of some of these big contracts, get you know out from underneath some of this this dead money. Um, but you know, I think this is something you might have mentioned in the in, in the war room. You know, it's a lot of dumpster diving. It's a lot of these reclamation projects that he's trying to you know hope that we hit for a home run and you know, a couple more bounce the wrong way. And you know, I could see him being shipped out of here as well.
0: Yeah, and you know. I run the social media accounts and I'm always playing patty cakes with all the haters. And a lot of them will uh, accuse me of rooting against Bloom, uh, you know, for the sake of it because I want him to fail. But the truth is, and this is kind of a a behind the scenes take that I have, we can't, as a podcast, we want to grow. You know, we want the listenership to grow. And um, last year we were flat. We were flat because we were a bad team. We didn't take that step forward. Just fans weren't into it. They had tuned out the Red Sox, and you know, part of tuning things out is you don't listen to podcasts. So I want this team to. I want this team to win the the division next year with Heim Bloom. You know, so if I come across negative and and throw the term Bloom and Adi around a lot, I I'm still rooting for this team to to you know, do well. And he's got the most money he's ever had, uh, to spend. Arguably he's got the most trade capital, whether he's willing to do it or not. I mean, he loves his farm. That's his baby. So who who knows if he's going to deal from it, but he's got more prospects to, to deal if he wants to do it. And so if he can't do it this year, if he can't, if he can't get us to at least 90 wins, there's no reason for me to believe he's going to do it next year or the year after that, you know? So if he can't, if he can't get it done this year, and this will be the fourth time in five years, the Red Sox di- didn't make it to the postseason. If you count 2019, that was still a Dombrowski year, but, um, so he's gotta, he's gotta show us something. And I also, I, I dug up an old tweet that I had and uh, it was right after bloom got hired. And I I said, I love the hiring, you know, and I was saying on the podcast at the time, when we're looking for a new GM, go, go look at Tampa, go look at Houston, go look at the Dodgers. Those are the, those are the smart organizations that develop the most talent. And it ended up being, uh, in our case, the the race. So another interesting thing here, we'll get to Xander and then we'll wrap it up. Um, James Click, the Mm -hmm. GM for the Houston Astros, and obviously that's where you are, so you're deeply embedded into that territory, he might either resign or get fired after winning a World Series. That's the crazy thing, because he and Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, don't see eye to eye, and... Did
1: both click and dusty only get one year extensions after winning a world series. They
0: did. Yeah. And that in the click extension, apparently not official yet. They're still talking about it. Dusty Baker has accepted a one year deal. Um, and I, I kind of get it with him. He's 74 and this is a really taxing thing. You saw it with Larusa; He had heart problems by the end of the year. So, um, so year to year for him is fine. And uh, now that he's got his ring, I don't think he even cares, but, But in Click's case, apparently he had a potential trade worked out last season at some point to get uh, Contreras from the Cubs. So the best catching, the best catcher you could possibly acquire at the deadline. And Jim Crane stepped in and said, no, we're not not going that way. And I I don't know if, oh, he didn't want to give up Jose Urquidy, I guess. That was the big thing. So that was Mm. going to be the guy. That got moved in the deal, and as we found out, all the pitching staff loves pitching to Maldonado. You know, he's their David Ross, and that's who they yeah. want to pitch to. And I kind of get it. And they ended up getting Vasquez without giving us Urquidy. Not that I—I I mean, I guess that wouldn't have been a bad piece to get, but um, but they ended up getting Vasquez. And the interesting thing to me. Uh, in that deal, was he didn't see nearly as much pitching time, and I think Dusty preferred Maldonado, and I think Dusty and Jim Crane kind of go behind James Click's back, and 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 so so Vasquez didn't get utilized for the prospects we got, which were significant. They didn't utilize him nearly as much as you thought they might for giving up the. I don't know if you want to call it a haul, but the decent prospect package that we got, so just just kind of weird there, and it's crazy to me. I mean, he sounds like he's a very difficult owner to work for, and mm-hmm. um, Click also comes from Tampa, so he pr- probably worked side by side with with Hein Bloom. Even mm-hmm. uh, he got hired. It was either later that off season or maybe it was the year after. I can't remember, but. Um, but, uh, so, that's something to, to watch. I don't see why Click should have to settle for a one-year deal, you know?
1: Uh, yeah, and especially as well as Houston has been built for, what, going on six, seven years now, it seems like the next guy's up is always better than the guy that he's replacing, right? Like, I mean, obviously, I know Click hasn't been there for the entire uh, time of that stretch run, but, I mean... Maybe maybe we can do something like the Celtics did, right? You move Brad Stevens off the off the floor into a front office position, and then you bring in another voice, and and the team gets running. Uh, you know, I don't know what that necessarily looks like in the front office here for for the Red Sox, uh, but maybe it could be something. Interesting enough, uh, I believe it was Vasquez that that caught the no hitter in the World Series. Yeah, was it Vasquez?
0: I think it was actually. Yeah,
1: yeah. The combined no hitter, a little feather in his cap.
0: Yeah, and. Even before that, he had, he'd only, pitchers had only given up like two runs in like 30 innings with him catching. So, and the crazy thing to me was that was my big criticism of Vasquez coming into this recent season was that he was a terrible game caller and pitchers always had high ERAs. That's why you had Chris Sale always pitching to Sandy Leone, like he had to pitch to Leone and, um, I think Evoldi also preferred uh, not pitching to Vasquez. And suddenly, I don't know what changed, but everybody pitches extremely well to Vasquez. So, Uh, all right. So final topic. We'll probably spend at least 10 minutes or so on this. It's a deep one. Um, In regards to Xander Bogart. So, Scott Boris, and I should probably, for the casual fans, explain who Scott Boris is. He is the rock star, uh, he's the rock star agent in MLB. You, if you're a good player, you want Scott Boris because he's probably going to get you the most money, and that means owners hate him because they're like, oh man, if he's involved now, you know. And JD Martinez got traded from the Tigers to the Diamondbacks, hit. 28 29 home runs in those last two months, got the diamondbacks into the playoffs. Season ends, he fires his agent and then hires Scott Boris. So you see that a lot. I think Carlos Correa actually did the same exact thing. And there's actually there, I think there might have been a lawsuit between Correa and his previous agent over the firing. But so the hardcore fans are, are gonna be very familiar with Boris, but if you're a casual. And that's who he is. And Scott Boris is the agent for Xander Bogarts. And one of the things all the writers and baseball media look forward to with the GM meetings that are happening right now, every general manager, every top executive for every team is in Las Vegas right now kind of meeting with each other Um Probably laying the groundwork for some trades that might happen in the coming weeks. They can also meet with agents. Uh, sometimes even players show up. I heard Tommy Pham is out there because he he lives there and he's just kind of making an appearance, saying, "Hey guys, don't forget about me. You know, I'm still, uh, you know, I can still play at the major league level." But but the one thing they look forward to, I always take the long way to get there. Um, Boris always holds court in the lobby of the hotel and basically has his impromptu press conference every year with the beat writers. He had that this afternoon. And this is a comment he had about Xander Bogarts. He says, quote, this is the first time teams have had the opportunity to sign the X-Man. They are finding it a marvelous opportunity, end quote. So, He's he's, you know, boosting the he's hyping up Xander, you know, trying to get trying to attract the attention of teams. So what are are your thoughts on that? Because Bogarts, like I said in the last show, he's not on the roster right now. He, He opted out. He is not a member of the Boston Red Sox. If you look up that 40 man, his name isn't on it. So so what are your thoughts about him officially on the market and those comments from Boris?
1: I mean, it's the exact opposite of, you know, kind of what we had said about Paxton's handling or uh, Boris's handling of Paxton, right? You know, Boris kind of snuffed out the market and pretty much uh, said, hey, we're going to take that four million uh, player option. We'll be back. He's the most comfortable here, even though, you know, comfortable where we haven't seen him. Uh, My thoughts are really, you know, what is what is Boris supposed to say at this point? Right. Right. you know, do I see a seven, eight, nine year deal for for Xander out there? No, I don't, but he's gonna do his best to try to find that for his guy. You know, um, we've seen it time and again. He goes out there, he gets extra years, he gets additional AAV that we didn't see in the market. And it kind of comes in at, at signing close, you know, some guy gets a mega deal and we're like, wow, you know, who was he competing against? Why did this team why did this team sign him for that value? Uh, you know, we've, we've been talking about some some numbers for, for Bogarts. And, you know, I think that, you know, six, 168, I think, uh, is is what we've seen on on the ESPN article when they did uh, the top 50 free agents and, and projected contracts. If I were Vegas, that seems like the number for me. I don't know if 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 he goes over, if he goes under, I, I would have to sit there and I'd have to think a lot about that one. But, um, you know, Boris has always been the guy that, you know, pumps up his own his own clientele makes everybody feel like he's, uh, he's got, you know, the, the dream team, the, the all-stars, you know, no, no bad representation, uh, for, for any of his guys, he's going to do whatever he can to try to get the most money for, for the guys in, in his team. And at this point in time, it's almost like you just have to tune it out and just say, Hey, like, we got to look at this from a pure objective standpoint, uh, you know, when it comes to Boris's clients.
0: A lot of good points there Um, for me. When you hear Boris talking like that and he's going to get more aggressive with potentially other teams executives than the Red Sox, he probably is trying to get the most money possible for Xander. And for anybody out there, that's hardcore pro Xander. And I think that's most of our listeners uh, it's not me, as I've said. I mean, I'm not going to go on a tirade if we do give them a big deal. But, um, but the thing I take from that comment is the Red Sox might have to win a bidding war. And I don't think that's the type of deal they really want. And to win a bidding war, what is that final number? Now, for anyone that wants a, a little bit of hope that the number might not be high it is a deep market this year and they're not all going to get mega deals. The only guy who got a mega deal last year was Seeger, And that's because the Texas Rangers were dumb enough to do it. If they would have waited out the market, they probably could have signed him for less than the 325 million they gave him, which I think was a 12 year deal. Uh, so, so that's the interesting thing. And, uh, Carlos Correa was also a free agent last year, and Boris couldn't seem to land uh, a mega deal for him. He did sign a, a three-year, hundred and five million dollar deal with the Twins, which was a good deal annually. It was a lot of money annually, but it was short term. So now I'm thinking, all right. Well, now if he couldn't if he couldn't get that money, that huge long term money for one of his players last year, how's he going to do it with two? Is the thing and here's a good comp too and if this would this would support him possibly coming to the Red Sox maybe on you know not quite insane money but if you go back to after the let's see it was right after the 2013 season with Jacoby Ellsbury he got his deal fast. Like he was one of the first free agents to come off the board. Yankees offered him; it was a hundred and fifty-two million over seven years, I think. Um, and I thought, wow, that was quick. I thought Ellsbury would sit out there a little while, and and it was a obviously that was a high offer. I thought that was a bit of an overpay, especially with his injury history and and um, and stuff. But but Boris took it. It was it was a it was a good deal. So maybe it, it could be a matter of taking the first one sixty or the first one seventy five that gets thrown Boris's way. He's going to be like Xander, take it because it's going to be a insane market, and that number might go down in the coming days. So, so I I think for me the number I'm looking at the Marcus Simeon deal last year that the Rangers had where that was. 175 over seven so that's 25 per that would be a five million dollar raise annually in for seven years so um, that's kind of where I'm thinking it it would top out with, with Xander but um, but yeah and one other thing though with that Ellsbury deal Scott Boris was actually Jacoby Ellsbury's uh, man, uh, agent and it's the part of the reason I was surprised also that Ellsbury got 152 was he was injury prone. He didn't have a ton of power outside of that kind of shady 32 million, uh, you know, th- excuse me, 32 home run season where he never hit more than like, I think 12 after the, you know, before or after that. Um, but so he didn't have a ton of power. He, he, he Notoriously, never had a great arm out there. He didn't have a cannon like Mookie and Bradley, and even Benintendi had a had a decent arm. Um, so th- there weren't a ton of reasons to justify Ellsbury getting that deal. But Boris came up with a, a term, a, a Borisism, uh, for lack of a better term. He said Ellsbury had prestige value, and he cited he comes from an organization that wins won a couple of rings so he had prestige value and that's why he's worth a, a big deal and the yankees were the first sucker and they gave it to him and uh it didn't work out well and as soon as they got stanton you basically never saw ellsbury again he was on the injured list i think for two years and then they cut him
1: um, we haven't seen him in public
0: <laughs> i know it's like since
1: then. i mean like anytime there's an ellsbury sighting like the whole whole internet peeks its head up like wait Oh, he's still alive.
0: Okay, cool. Good to know. And, you know, I think he's been at a couple of Red Sox uh, ceremonies. He might have even been – Remy got honored like a bunch of times in the, the last handful of years, and I think he was at one of those. So mm-hmm. so he would come out of the that little garage door there in center field that they would all come out, and he'd be like one of at least 15 players. And mm-hmm. it's just always goofy seeing a Red Sox player that – had gone to the Yankees and now come back. It's just weird seeing them back in that jersey. I almost get mad. I don't I don't want to see Johnny Damon in a Red Sox jersey anymore, and I don't want to see Wade Boggs in a Red Sox jersey. I couldn't believe they retired his number. <laughs> but, you know, so when they come back and they, they put our jersey on, I'm just kind of, you know, it just looks a little dirty to me. But... But you're right, though. He just completely disappeared. He's just not a, a social media guy like you see with Middlebrooks. And uh, and Papelbon was the same way until this very uh, past year. Just completely... He choked out Bryce Harper. Didn't choke him out, but they had the altercation. Mm-hmm. He got cut shortly after that and then never played again. Never was on social media. It's like, where did he go? Did he go into the witness protection program? Did, did Harper try to have him whacked? I'm being facetious, but, um, but yeah. And he resurfaced, but you see nothing with Ellsbury.
1: I think, I think Ellsbury gets a pass in the eyes of the Red Sox. Because he took that seven 152 from from new york and pretty much just robbed them blind <laughs> uh you know i think if he had gone to new york and had had a better tenure kind of like damon did cause i think damon was part of that 09 team for
0: he new was york, right and he had a great yeah. year that year yeah
1: yeah that you know that makes it sting a little bit more but you know to to see ellsbury put all of his good years here in, in a red sox uniform i mean you mentioned it right had one year of good power, which I still argue he should have been the MVP that year. I don't, you know, one of my hot takes is pitchers shouldn't be able to win MVPs even if they have great seasons. I don't disagree uh, with that. Verlander was incredible that year. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from Verlander. Absolutely should have won the Cy Young. But yeah, no, Ellsbury had that one great season uh, of of offensive production. But you know, he's a menace on the base paths. He's great defensively, but he doesn't have a great arm. And and New York just. Maybe he killed New York enough times where they're like, look, if we take the thorn out of our side and put it, you know, on our rose, maybe it'll be better. And it just never panned out that way. So yeah, he's got a soft spot for, in my heart.
0: And and it's funny because you, you mentioned Damon and that was painful when he went to New York, that was painful. We, none of us wanted to see that we wanted to keep him. And he had only signed a four or five year deal. So it was a little bit more manageable. And when Ellsbury gets the deal with New York, I feel like everyone was okay with it. They're like, ah, you know, all right, is what it is. Let's move on. You know, we were all resigned to the idea that we weren't signing him. So um, definitely
1: not for that much either.
0: Yeah. And yeah. And he also awkwardly, um, the 2013 team, which won the World Series, that was his last year. That was the the fear the beard team. They all grew beards, and Ellsbury was the last one to do it. He didn't want to do it, and it was more of a goatee type thing. But but he got on board and and uh, was trying to be you know a team player. So it is what it is, and I I like Ellsbury, and I don't really hold a lot against him. That time he stole home on the Yankees, I think that was on Sunday night ESPN. That was great. I love that. That was in oh nine. You know, I thought we, we had a potential World Series team that year, but we uh kind of faded late and then the Angels swept us. Uh, Lackey, yeah. ironically, was part of that Angels team that shut us down. And then we and then we signed him, uh, which didn't work out well for a few years. Uh until you know, that twenty thirteen season. But um but yeah, so So, Boris just making interesting comments there uh, on Xander. Uh, It's going to be a weird market. I don't think all those guys are going to... I'd be surprised if even two of them get over 300. And if they did, it's probably Turner and Correa that do it. But Mm -hmm. Charlie has this hot take on Correa every time. He's he's like Correa's never hit thirty home runs. He's never had more than a hundred RBIs, <laughs> and he's right. But his numbers are typically across the board pretty good, and he's he's a very good defender uh, as well. So, um, but yeah, he's he, he hasn't been injured in the last two or three years, but he definitely had issues before. And he had that remember that injury with the masseuse. He, like, cracked a rib or something and blamed it on a masseuse. <laughs> yeah, that was strange. <laughs> One of my favorite comments was, uh, I don't know if it was on a pass and tweet, but somebody comments underneath goes, was the masseuse an elephant? <laughs> you know? It was just like, yeah. It's funny how they, they lie sometimes about their injuries. And then we have Chris Sale, who doesn't lie. He's like, yeah, I fell off my bike.
1: But um, I mean, there's no there's no faker injury in baseball than an oblique strain, right? I mean, oh, guys scuffling, he, he, yeah, He gets you know the oh, oh obliques a little tight, need a 15 day uh, stint in the minors. Yeah,
0: I will say though the the rib injury to Sale is kind of curious to me that one because mm-hmm. when you hear of a pitcher cracking a rib, throwing a pitch. I, and he's a freak. I mean, he's not built like mm-hmm. any pitcher we've ever seen. You know, he's a stick man. And so maybe it is possible. But um, I'm just wondering, perhaps maybe something did happen there. And, of course, and then it was downplayed at the time. And, and then it ended up being. Yeah, they kind of
1: they try to tuck that one in there and just, like, keep it moving on, like, a, on a news dump.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you're exactly right. It was right at the end of the press conference that day for Bloom. He goes through everything, and he's like, oh, by the way, yeah, Sale uh, rib injury, we don't know much yet, but he's not going to be ready for opening day, they said. And, and uh, yeah, we finally got him in, what, September, something like that, for five? No, not even. Oh, was that his first start? I think it was his second oh, start when he uh, – I think
1: it was his second start, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it was one of those things. Because like he couldn't put he couldn't put batters away in the first start, but he got through it. And in the second start, it was like, oh man, you know, like he had a couple of ground balls that should have been out but weren't. And then because that they didn't get out of that inning, he ended up getting the fastball or the yeah, off the hand.
0: there were two guys on base, but he wasn't mm-hmm. sharp. You know, he wasn't. He was not. So that's why I'm a huge pessimist. I, I think with him. He's he, you're gonna see more of that and there's gonna be chirps oh put him in the bullpen put him in the bullpen and the Red Sox will let him get killed six or seven more times out there and then uh uh-huh. they'll finally stubbornly agree but but yeah well all right we'll uh we'll wrap on that we could potentially be back uh I don't know maybe tomorrow night or um or the next night or whatever to discuss any other developments. The GM meetings are going on, and today uh, is the first of the three days that they're out there. So um, that's why we got all these nuggets and ended up coming on. Uh, Hope everyone's having a good week, and we'll uh, see you really soon, Um, uh, probably the next 24, 48 hours. Take care.